The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Welcome back. Anybody here who wasn't, hasn't been to the intro or the first class? Great. Great. Okay. So I'm Tanya Weiser. This is Liz Powell. And um, we'll be, you know, co-teaching together today. Uh, our class, the topic is Right Intention. So, um, unfortunately, the recordings from the last class um, didn't quite work. They're, I tried to listen, and they, they, they're not working. Um, and today's class won't be recorded either. I'm trying, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> okay. Um, but, but you can listen to any of the previous year's talks, really. The basics will be covered, and it's all different every time anyway, in a way. It's the same and different, so... Um, yeah. So I'm hoping you feel comfortable. I wanted uh, more of a circle today, circles and circles. Um, but please feel free to make things work for you if the, the, the setting isn't working. And, and also you can let us know at the end of the day if you preferred more of the lined up seating um, for next time. So, so today, um, just to start, uh, I just want to sort of just review... Um, the class that we did last time, just some simple things and maybe invite you to help sort of summarize and see what comes up for you from the last class, sort of what stood out for you. But um, some of the most important sort of concepts um, were talking about what a view is and the impact a view can have on your experience, um, on how you perce- what you're perceiving, how it's perceived that the same situation can be perceived entirely differently with a slight shift or a a grand shift in one's view. Um, So it's a perspective, it's a belief um, that we carry into a situation that actually filters or impacts our understanding and our way of relating to that situation. We also talked about the Four Noble Truths as a, uh, a view of views that is used as a guide um, to help us connect with the, um, a way of turning toward, in my view, turning toward suffering, the suffering that is sort of the feedback um, that we experience when our views are unhelpful or harmful. And, and then we also talked about that idea of wholesome and unwholesome, sort of engaging and sort of lurk, looking for the feedback in our experience that tells us, oh, this, this way of going is um, leading toward greater happiness, greater ease, or this way of going is creating more conflict, more problem, more difficulty for ourselves. And for me, one of the um, kind of phrases that I like to think about is... Um, that the idea of um, I break for suffering. You know, I, I, I break for suffering. I want to stop and pause that I see it as an opportunity in myself and in others. I break for suffering. So those are the things that stood out in a really simplified Cliff Notes format <laughs> for me about the last session. But um, I wonder if... There's another person or two that has um, something that really stood out for them that was useful for them about 
the class on right view that they might share right now. So um, more of a question that came up while I was like looking at things the last month. Unfortunately, I wasn't here um, on the October session because I was sick. Um, I'm sorry, you were ill? Yeah. Um, a thing that came up for me, like I guess that's always been in the back of my mind, is um, with my just with my life experience, I've become a very averse-seeking person in a way. Um, like I, I'm like a low risk kind of person and such. And like, maybe one thing that's drawn me to Buddhism is it seems to be like, you know, don't get attached, you know, don't do this, you know, which is kind of like really, maybe that's what's drawn me to it. But like, um, that's also one of the three poisons. So I'm wondering, um, you're in the right class for today. Yeah. Yeah. So how is it, um, how is it in Buddhism where like attachment is a bad thing? Okay. And, like, I don't get attached, but we also, I also don't want to be adverse. You know, right. I so, don't want to build aversion either. Beautiful, beautiful. So, actually, I really meant it when I said you're in the right place today because we will both be addressing both aspects of that question. That is really the meat of our class today. Okay? Is that, is that good enough for right now? Acceptable? <laughs> Great. Great. Curious is supportive. It's a really helpful thing to have when we're turning toward practice and toward learning curiosity. So that's beautiful. Anybody else have a little, like really just a a short ditty that they wanted to share? Or did I do just such a remarkable job that Cliff Notes is going to hire me, right? (laughs) Yes. One thing that stands out for me is that of course, we all suffer, right? Just being in the body, we are suffering. But everybody's suffering is so personal and is experienced in their own intimate, personal way. And I find that amazing, you know? Thank you. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Beautiful. Hmm. Yeah. I think, I don't know if it was, actually it was not in that class, but I gave a talk um, on dukkha, on suffering um, shortly, well, between last class and today. And one of the things that happened when I was um, teaching was I had this image. I was like, well, what would it be like if we could all unzip and all of our dukkha could come out, all of the ways that we've suffered? And I just had this image of like just all this you know, stuff coming out and filling up the space and being able to look around and see like, oh, there's my dukkha and there's my dukkha over there too, you know, and just to see how much, we don't see it so much when we're just looking at each other, right? Um, But this is a beautiful bridge to today, which is the topic of right intention. Because when we start to look in this way and we start to recognize how much suffering there is, and then see that we're not alone in that suffering, and also that there's a possibility of freedom in that suffering, then we can start to work on right intention. And the three right intentions are essentially renunciation, loving kindness, and compassion. So that's what we'll be talking about today. And um, I'm going to start with a guided meditation, and I'm actually going to offer, I think, I'll tell you for sure in a minute, uh, loving kindness and self kind of kind of a semi self compassion loving kindness meditation, 
But first I want to ask, if you, have you practiced loving kindness before? Could you please raise your hand if you have? Okay, so we have a few people who have never practiced loving kindness. Okay, now another question. When you've practiced loving kindness, who have you felt nothing at all? Sometimes. Nothing at all. No. Okay. Who of you have felt a lot of compassion arise at times when you practice loving kindness? Okay. Who of you have actually seen it change how you relate in life? Okay. So we have a mix, right? So, um, and that's really normal. So I just want to start by normalizing that. And I'm going to add a lot of instructions, um, maybe too many instructions, so I'm going to apologize now. Um, just sort of to try and offer different tips and ways of relating um, to the things that can come up when we're doing this practice. Because it, it can be blissful and beautiful, and it can also be really um, difficult, actually. Um, but uh, metta bhavana, um, the metta means loving, pra- uh, loving kindness. Uh, bhavana is... Um, the practice literally means causing loving kindness to be. Causing loving kindness to be in Pali. And it's a practice that encourages us to develop this state of heart, state of mind. And it asks you first just to evoke. Really, I'll say, first we start with just phrases. And those phrases can, can and may evoke a feeling state. And sometimes that feeling state is loving and sometimes it it's actually can be painful. Sometimes it can be neutral. But the, the, start, the starting gateway is using these phrases, these, these cognitive, intellectual phrases that we just start planting like seeds in the mind. And I'll talk more about sort of the process of cultivation later on in my talk. But I wanted to sort of just normalize that some people will feel loving kindness as a result of this practice and some people won't. Yep. So if you find it a difficult practice, um, I'll give you permission and encouragement to do what you need to do to be self-compassionate and maybe tune out the phrases, and do some more self-care or other practices that are useful for you. Are we ready? All right. So let's feel our feet on the floor. Uh, Orienting. Before you close your eyes, I want to encourage a practice of, please feel free to come in. Um, I want to encourage, there are seats. You just make yourself comfortable. Um, it's really helpful, actually, for the kind of nervous system, truthfully, to orient to where you are. Take a, take a look around who's sitting beside you and your location and kind of bring to mind what day this is and the purpose of this gathering. And just notice if your system feels like it's okay. It's okay. Is it okay to close your eyes? Is it okay to rest here? And if it feels not at all like, you know, in any way, like maybe not quite, it's really perfectly fine to keep your eyes open. And if you do, just sort of take a, um, you know, just a gaze at the floor. You know, or just not looking around in general. That might be too stimulating. And so as you kind of come into whatever centered space and 
posture that's supportive for you, letting the flow of the breath feel like um, soothing, if that's possible, a wave that flows in and out. (sighs) Bringing in this life-giving oxygen. Mm. Letting go of what's not needed. And feeling the settling in the room, perhaps in yourself. And then just take an intimate, kind look inward. Maybe with this idea of wise view in mind, of how to see suffering with wisdom in a caring attention. Maybe maybe to see it with kind, wise eyes. The eyes of someone so kind and caring and so wise that you immediately feel safe under their gaze. And just taking a look into your heart and seeing if there's any worry, fear, grief, dislike, resentment, rejection, uneasiness, anxiety, discomfort, pain. If you find any of those things, just bringing a warm and compassionate presence to the experience, acknowledging the pain. I see you. Just letting yourself feel, you know, feel and connect. Not needing to make a change. And notice if there's a wish to reach out and care for the parts of you that are suffering. You actually can take an, um, do an experiment here and see what happens if you bring your heart, hand to your heart. And there's using your hand to feel your chest, to feel your heart, perhaps even your heartbeat. And then there's also the ability to go deeper inside and see if you can be the heart feeling the hand touch your chest from the inside, receiving the touch. And um, as you check in and you're here for yourself in this way, just check in and see if anything inside of you is asking for forgiveness right now. Forgiveness can be sticky. So there's no you know, need to force or push yourself in any way here, but... Maybe there's something simple that you, you know, just is calling for a little bit of forgiveness right now. And if that's so, 
You might want to repeat the following phrases after me if they resonate for you. If there's any way I may have harmed myself, I invite bit by bit the experience of forgiveness to arise. May I forgive myself as I'm able. And if there's any way I may have harmed others, I invite, bit by bit, the experience of forgiveness to arise. May I be forgiven as much as is possible. If there's any way I may have been harmed by others, I invite, bit by bit, experience of forgiveness to arise. May I forgive as I am able. And then breathe in kindness for yourself. And breathe out kindness to the world. And breathe in kindness for yourself. And let thoughts or feelings of warmth and friendship arise in your heart if they're possible and available. It's okay. I'm okay. I'm good enough. I don't have to be anybody else. Imagine the idea of surrounding yourself with loving thoughts and feelings of contentment. And reflect on the Buddha's words, on his teaching, that no one is more important than you are. That our actions should never harm ourselves, nor others, nor both. So in this way, we're beginning the practice of loving kindness for ourselves. Breathing in kindness for ourselves. And with the next breath, bring in kindness for yourself and then breathe out kindness for your neighbor, the person sitting next to you. And consider this person next to you and the fact that they have unique life experience and talents and presence and they've done acts of kindness and generosity. And as you're able, surround them with loving thoughts, imagining filling that person with peace and wishes for this person's happiness. And with your next inhale, breathing in kindness for yourself and then breathing out kindness for all the people in this room. Imagine all the unique gifts, acts of kindness, life experience, suffering, all of it here. And these people and these embodied bodies And let the thoughts and feelings of peacefulness or kindness extend to everyone here. 
And think of yourself as everyone's good friend, Kalyanamita, spiritual friend. And with the next inhale, breathing in kindness for yourself and breathing out kindness for your benefactors. Consider your benefactors maybe a caregiver, a teacher, or someone who helped you in a time of need, whether they're still alive or not, and bring to mind their uniqueness, their acts of kindness and wisdom, and surround them with thoughts and feelings of love. Fill them with peace and gratitude for what they have done for you. Be their good friend too. Breathing in kindness for yourself and breathing out kindness for all the people who are nearest and dearest to you. Think of your neighbors who live near you, the people you meet at work, on the street, in the shops. Breathing in kindness for yourself and breathing out kindness for them. Think of someone who maybe even you dislike, you've had difficulties with. Breathe in kindness for yourself. As best you can, breathe out kindness for them. Knowing that loving kindness is the antidote to hatred or ill will. That's why cultivating it is so beneficial Practice is about being able to access and cultivate the healthiest parts of yourself without allowing anyone to obstruct that, not anyone. And breathing in loving kindness for yourself and breathing out loving kindness for all the people who live lives that are more difficult than ours who may be sick or in the hospital or in a prison or orphanage. Opening your heart to caring thoughts for all of them. Imagine them all as your spiritual friends. And then bringing your attention back to yourself, breathing in kindness for yourself and breathing out kindness for all. Feeling thoughts of contentment perhaps arising in you from having right view, generating right intention and making right effort. Just pause here and allow space for yourself to rest and to recognize how these words have 
marinated inside of you? What has been the impact? And then as you're ready, take a moment to, in silence, open your eyes and gently look around the room at these people who held you in their field of loving kindness and you in theirs. And as you do so, you may want to just reflect, may all beings be happy. May all beings be safe. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be at ease. Welcome. It's really nice to be back and see everybody here today. Um, You know, I'm touched by the way that Tanya has started us off today with kindness. Because, um, you know, maybe you've spent the last month looking at Right View and uh, really noticing how many views, opinions, ideas you have, in addition to the ones that are helpful, as she said, the ones that aren't so wholesome. These can be about yourself, they can be about other people, they can be about how the world really should operate. It's not operating the way it's supposed to, (laughs) you know, those kinds of things. And um, part of that right view, of course, is seeing how this leads to that. So whatever action, whatever thought, whatever words come to you uh, or are offered by you, they have consequences in the world. Um, So also part of right view. And then she mentioned, Tanya mentioned, the Four Noble Truths. So we're, we're about breaking for suffering, showing up and seeing where our views or where our actions have consequences that result in us feeling stressed out, result in our feeling suffering, Um, And then this is the perfect place to enter right intention because once, you know, that first step of seeing suffering, once we start to be able to see that, then we can start to look at the causes of suffering. And one of the, or a set of causes of suffering are our intentions, our motivations. Um, And as we get to observe those, we get loads of time in this practice years, days, moments, years, decades, to observe <laughs> suffering and what's, what's causing it. What's the intention? What's the motivation? What's underneath the suffering? That practice of looking and seeing it again and again and again leads to, ultimately, to cessation of suffering. And the way we're getting there is we're practicing the Eightfold Path. So with right intention we get to become aware of kind of underneath our suffering or stress, what's under there. And it's really intention. It's this deep underlying set of motivations 
Um, and when we start this path, very often we're not even conscious of most of those. They are um, really deeply conditioned. You know, from the time we were tiny, we saw people around us doing certain things in certain ways and we may feel that we soaked a lot of that in through the skin or we pushed a lot of that away. Um, but somehow there's all this conditioning that went on um, that led to these unconscious intentions um, that bubble up in thinking what we're thinking, saying what we're saying, either internally to ourselves or externally, and doing what we're doing. So as we start and continue to work on the Eightfold Path with these views, we get this chance to surface what is, you know, what are the intentions? What are these underlying habits that have resulted in these views that result in suffering? So my understanding is that uh, the Buddha and the teachers that followed him looked really deeply into these underlying motivations, these underlying intentions. And they boiled it down to these three, which is really interesting. You know, the the longer you uh, work with this, the more interesting I think this is. The three intentions uh, that are often translated or named for us are lust, ill will, and hostility. Now, I'm going to offer you a lot of other synonyms for those words because some of us have don't use those words very often in our lives or we're thinking, what? I don't, you know, lust and hostility, those are not where I'm at. So what does that mean? So I'll give you some synonyms right now. Uh, For lust, we might think of it as greed. And for some of us, even that word's going to feel really strong, like, I don't, maybe I am or maybe I'm not. But it's maybe wanting things to be a certain way. It's that way we lean forward into the world and, and want it to be like this. Um, It's the way we're maybe attached to things being a certain way. Or you could say we're clinging to the way we want things to be. All that could be viewed as this word that gets translated as lust. So that's one of the underlying motivations. And as you sit in, in this talk, maybe even during the opening comments, the guided meditation, you may have felt one of these. So I'd like to invite you to tune in, even as I'm speaking. Um, you, you may want my, my talk to be a certain way, um, which leads us to the second one, ill will. <laughs> you may have some aversion. You may, you know, Tanya nicely opened the, uh, our experience for, you know, if we found guided meditation or loving kindness something we didn't want to do right now she opened it up that we didn't have to follow her words if we were feeling aversion we might not want it to Uh, you know sometimes we want things to not be the way they are that's what's being called ill will we're resisting it we're struggling against the way things are that's this ill will aversion category so a second underlying conditioned habit that we might have. The third of hostility, again, a word that some of us think, I'm not hostile, but another translation that's given to that is cruelty or harmfulness. We might think of it as just, you know, uh, sometimes we hate something. I mean, can you think of something that's going on in the world or in your life right now that you kind of hate? You kind of want it to not be there. So maybe it's when we have this really strong agenda 
with respect to what's going on in the world, what's going on in ourselves, what's going on in others. That's this category of hostility. So I may interchange for lust, I may use greed. For ill will, I may use aversion. And for hostility, I may just use the word harmfulness. Um, But these are ways in which our conditioning has kind of gotten us into a habit of not really being lined up with how reality actually is operating. Um, We're wanting more of something. We're wanting something to go away. We're wanting less of it. Um, We're hating something that's going on. Um, This is stress and suffering when we're feeling those things. So these are these views that bubble up in the form of intention and underlie our stress and suffering. Um, And at first, with right intention, and for a long time with right intention, what we do notice and we are aware of and we try to bring mindfulness to is when one or the other of these is under what we're thinking, under what we're saying, or under our actions. So um, what I want to encourage is that this is a natural process. Like sometimes, some people, you know, lots of people in this room have practiced loving kindness, formal meditation. Maybe you've noticed the first thing that comes up with that is often the absence of it. You know, I started doing it, the first time I didn't know how to do it, I did it for a colleague. And um, what came up was how, what a problem she was. This colleague was such a problem. And I, I didn't know how to do it, so I did loving kindness for her, and then for me, and then for her, and then for me, and then for her. And by the end I went, oh, wait a minute, we're kind of alike. <laughs> this is, the trouble I was having with her was the trouble I was having inside. So just noticing that uh, when we notice these things bubble up, these intentions of greed, aversion, or harmfulness, um, under our thoughts, speech, and actions, we're inclining towards seeing our suffering, seeing what's causing it, what's underneath it. Um, And this seeing it again and again, this being aware of it, moment to moment, we might have a whole mix of things. One moment you might be feeling great compassion, the next moment you really don't want what's going on, and the following moment you don't have any strong intention one way or another. It's a mixed bag moment to moment. But by seeing it and seeing it and seeing it, it gradually releases its hold on us. So it's, it can be not so much that we're doing it, but it's doing us. And it releases often into choice. So whereas maybe you had a habit of um, getting really annoyed <laughs> with people who are texting while they're driving down 101. You're like, you're like oh, I can't believe that, really? Um, you know, I certainly have felt that way before, alarmed, annoyed, and had that release into choice or some absence of that or some curiosity where I went, what kind of crazy stressed out life does it take to have to drive and text at the same time? Compassion, wow, that is stress. Um, So we may release into the absence of, for a while, the absence of greed, aversion, um, and harmfulness. And then ultimately what can bubble up instead are these right intentions or wholesome intentions of renunciation, which we can also think of as letting go, and I'll spend some more time on that, or instead of ill will and, and uh, aversion, it can release into 
kindness, simple kindness, loving kindness. If we feel some hostility or hating something, that can ultimately release into compassion. So the more we see and are aware of these under moment after moment of our experience, the more they may release and these other wholesome intentions may bubble up. So I'm going to spend time looking at lust, uh, greed, and the opposite you know, thing that can bubble up of renunciation. And Tanya will spend uh, time on how ill will can release into loving kindness and how uh, this hostility can release into compassion. So this lust, you know, not just sexual desire kind of lust, although that certainly, you know, creates a lot of suffering in the world, wanting sex to be a certain way, pursuing people in ways that don't work out so well, plenty of that in the world. But this clinging to wanting things to be a certain way or wanting more of something um, or being too attached to something or even we can use the phrase being addicted to certain things. Um, you know, these under these are, oops, our views. I'm attached to my cards. <laughs> so underneath these are uh, inner and outer ways of thinking about what our life has to be like for us to be happy. Um, what, you know, it, it's the way we talk to ourselves, it's the way we act in the world. And um, we even have these attitudes of greed or lust about our meditation. So if you've ever had the idea that for, medita- for your meditation or your mindfulness to be right, you know, like you're really doing it right, it has to feel a certain way. And maybe it feels a certain way for a long time. What a setup that is, because then the day comes that it doesn't feel like that. If it feels like chaos, it feels some entirely different way, and then stress comes up. Ah, I've lost my meditation. Where has it gone? Um, or uh, that meditation has to be uh, produce results. Come on now, I've been at this a year, where you know, or fifteen years, or twenty years. Where's my liberation? <laughs> um, or that it has to be peaceful. I've had people tell me directly that, you know, the mindfulness practice, they expect peacefulness here when they come here. And if what comes up isn't peaceful, you know, somebody's doing something wrong. So we can have attitudes like that um, that are about greed. They're about wanting more of things to be a certain way. Um, We have a lot of self-views that are about wanting things to be a certain way. Fill in the blank. I'm a person who... And, you know, we fill in all kinds of qualities. So I'm an athlete. Or I was, I was really stuck on that idea until arthritis and aging meant that, I, whoops, can't run anymore, whoops, trouble hiking, whoops, you know, trouble climbing stairs. Oh, that's a setup to think, I'm, well, obviously I'm athletic. Obviously that's how I have to be in the world. I've got to have that in order to feel good and happy. Or I'm a, you know, some people, we have role definitions, like I'm a parent. I'm a really good parent. I'm a parent who tries really hard. Well, then your uh, son or daughter grows up, uh, goes off to college or even in high school, starts to follow a path that wasn't the one you picked for them. Something entirely different than you may agree with or, or even think is good for them. This attachment to, well, my parenting was going to result in this type of 
child is a kind of clinging to a certain idea of ourselves. Or maybe the idea, I, I, have, I have good intentions, I always have good intentions. And then somebody says, well, you know, obviously in this situation you might be suffering from, um, you might be exhibiting some privilege. You go, I never did anything to harm you. What do you mean privilege? I didn't. But <laughs> there's a lot more to it than just our good opinion of ourselves. So uh, these are all forms of clinging to certain ideas. Um, we could be addicted in, in the other direction to self-criticism or constant self-improvement. Like, um, you know, I've got to get it perfect. If I get, if I can finally work it out, my life will be happy. Like, all I have to do is heal from this. All I have to do is get this job. All I have to do is work out this relationship. All I have to do is have my live in a certain place. Uh, for, I lived here for 27 years and I was really convinced that to be happy, this was where my friends were, this is where my dharma practice is, this is where happiness was. And then we moved to Colorado and what do you know, I'm happy in Colorado and I, I'm happy here. Or, you know, there are times when I'm unhappy there and I'm unhappy here. But it had, I've lived in 20 different places in my life. I was clinging to an idea that I had to live here and I didn't even know I was clinging to it. So ideas of how we cling to things, ideas about the future, ideas about how we can relax. This is where addiction really can come in in the formal sense. Like maybe you've experienced this or people have told you, well, you know, I really need that glass of wine or two at the end of the day to unwind or to feel my feelings. Or I, I need to... Uh, sit down and watch some television to get just to relax at the end of the day or I need peace and quiet around my house all forms of clinging or I need the latest tech uh, you know high tech thing because I can't keep up with my friends or anybody around me if I don't have that um, by the way there can be a lot of impatience in this kind of clinging so um, you know people have to drive a certain way kids have to behave a certain way or um, Politics has to go a certain way. The, the direction of the country, the world, my town has to be a certain way. And it has to go at my pace. Like I want this to change now. I don't want to wait. Or I want it to take five years. I, I don't have time to work on it right now. So impatience can feed into this. So as we do right intention practice, just being aware of these things. You know, they'll gradually unpeel themselves. They'll show themselves in your life uh, like, you know, the layers of an onion. And using mindfulness in the moment of what's, what's underneath how I'm thinking right now or how I'm feeling or reacting or what I'm saying or what I'm doing. What's underneath it? Um, rather, and just, I mean, really recommending just being aware. Just can looking at it again and again, rather than trying to make yourself, okay, I am now starting today because I've come to the right intention class. I am going to let go. I am going to be loving and kind and I am going to be compassionate and that is going to happen every day. Do you hear the greed in there? So uh, rather than trying to force yourself or do what's called a spiritual bypass where you go, I'm, I'm not going to look at that stuff. I'm just going to try harder to be compassionate, try harder to be kind, try harder to let go. 
that, those things will just stay under there and they'll be influencing your thinking, your speech, and your behavior without your knowing it. So eyes wide open, look again and again, and don't be at, in the least bothered. Practice the loving kindness that Tanya introduced us to, to be really gentle with yourself as these things unveil themselves over the years, the, the big ones and the really subtle ones. Um, so the opposite of this clinging or this greed, renunciation. So that's an intimidating word. Like somehow I'm supposed to give up everything now? Renounce? Be a renunciate? How do I do that? So you can hear again, there's some should. There's some, some people go in the direction of willpower. Um, they, we, can, we can get into greed for perfection. But instead, sometimes a word that some people find more conducive is letting go. But then, you know, my early response to that was, okay, how do I do that? How do I let go? So one thing that's helpful is, what are you letting go into? You know, there's, you may be relaxing an old behavior or an old habit or an old way of thinking, and maybe you're letting go into something more helpful, more wholesome. So um, uh, Tan Jeff, formerly known as Tanisuru Bhikkhu, wrote an essay called Trading Candy for Gold that you can find on accesstoinsight.com. This is a great essay. And just that title, Trading Candy for Gold, you get the picture of, you know, like the getting the bag of Halloween candy that's over full when you're a kid and eating too much and your stomach hurting. And instead of that, you could trade that for something that's more wholesome. So um, that title helps me understand, you know, what he's saying in the essay, that uh, letting go into a kind of more intelligent, uh, it's not, he calls it a sacrifice. I wouldn't call it a sacrifice. I'd call it trading up, relaxing into something more helpful. So um, he points to the fact that when we cling or when we hold on, it's agitating, it's burdensome, it's like being enslaved. It complicates our lives and it's definitely not peaceful. So there's this wonderful essay in the New York Times Magazine last Sunday about internet game addiction and how people set out thinking, you know, if they do a multiplayer games, they'll overcome their loneliness. You know, they'll be doing something fun with someone. And yet, a lot of people who do a lot of it find themselves feeling isolated and more lonely than ever. Or that sitting down and doing that, that'll be a way to relax from my week. And yet, some people who do it end up finding it, it's burdensome, it takes over. They skip showers, they skip meals. Pretty soon, that's all they're doing. So, um, just being aware of how this kind of behavior is suffering itself. So... Um, Letting go into something else means getting clear on what feels better. First we get to feel what feels bad about lust or greed, and then we can sort of soften into what may feel better. So it's this idea of relaxing into. If we feel tense or stressed or just tired at the end of the day, maybe instead of relaxing into a glass of wine or some television or something that's not so helpful to us we could literally relax the body or you know take a walk so relaxing into something more wholesome relaxing this is a good one since we have all these views of who we're supposed to be or how we're supposed to be relaxing into not having to be a certain way you are not a someone who you are not a someone you're just here 
What a relief. So um, my hope is that you'll be very gentle with yourselves as you practice with how greedy and lusty (laughs) a lot of our conditioned habits are. So thank you. So next what we're going to do is have a chance to get into small groups and reflect on this a little bit. So I'd like to invite you to find a group of three other people. So groups of four, or we may end up with a group that has three or five, but try for four. Um, And then just distribute yourself uh, here in the hall in little groupings and out in the outer hall. And then I'll give you the instructions. So find three people and make a little group and drag your chairs wherever you need to go. And maybe... What do you want to say? I just... Tell me. So allow yourselves to be aware as you move into these groups of how you're feeling. I'm going to guide it my way, okay? Sorry. (laughs) The noise level's a little too intense for me to... Um, I will practice. As you say one thing at a time, um, you're each going to say one thing about the following. Um, Think of a habit that you might be ready to let go of. And think of how you've observed it in your experience. And then the topic is, what might you let go into instead of that habit that relates to clinging or that relates to aversion or that relates to hating something. Um, so is that clear enough that you're, you're reflecting for a moment on your own habits and thinking of one you'd really like to let go of and what you've noticed about it and how you might let go into it? Something else that's more wholesome for you. So um, we'll start with the person wearing um, the darkest color or just decide between somebody wearing, two people wearing the darkest color and then just we'll go around the circle one by one saying one thing and then letting the next person share. We're going to do that for about uh, 10 minutes or so. So plenty of time to learn from each other. So please get started. And um, I'm not going to ring the bell since this is just going around. I'll ring it at the end, okay? Yes, you keep going around the circle. Thank you. Um, So if you'd please uh, thank your partners and then come back to the big circle. Good at screwing. So we're going to take a few minutes now uh, to, for anybody who was inspired by something in their group or they learned something. to share a little bit of that with the rest of the group, especially Tanya let me know that when I asked if if it made sense letting go into something, there was a direction in the room I wasn't looking where people were going, no. (laughs) So maybe you learned something from each other about what it would mean to uh, 
change a habit or let go of a habit or there's something you're really so done with. If you learned about that from one another, maybe you can share a little bit about that too. I found us going around in circles and thinking, you know, I think, oh, I, I, I should have said that. That's exactly like me. And then the next person was, oh, that's, that's mine. That, that's exactly like me. <laughs> and by the time I got to myself, I thought, oh, I don't know what to say now because they've all taken mine. <laughs> Great, thank so you. So we were pretty much, I think, all the same, all the same stressors in life. Yeah. Wonderful, thank you. The instruction to just listen and not, because our uh, impulse is to, you know, show compassion and be compassionate and to you know, jump. And I read that in the readings last week, too, about just listening to people and letting that sit and use that to help ourselves and that I don't know about other people but that seems to be out of my typical paradigm like how do I use this to help myself and so when we were going around in the group I had that inclination to want to say oh this or that but I followed the direction and then what it helped me do was to use it to help myself. (laughs) And so when I would truly listen to someone else, I was using it, and it built on, oh, yes, and there's that, too, that I'm doing. And, oh, yes, that, too, could be helpful. So thank you to the people in my group and for that instruction. You? So as we went around and we didn't respond... Um, the first time we went around I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to say but nobody said anything but when I came back around the second time by then I knew what it was but it came from me it didn't come from anybody else so I knew I was on the right track Mm. Ah, big sigh nice others who'd like to comment on something you learned or found in the group process or in yourself. Um, I was thinking, actually, as I, as I was listening to everybody, that you know, based on whatever your particular conditioning is, that whatever your particular flavor is that you would like to let go of, I mean, it could be even something like um, deciding... You know, to to say to someone, well, I, I can't I can't really accept that anymore. You know, something you're saying because perhaps I'm used to being silent about it and just accepting whatever. So I, I think it was kind of interesting to me that what came up is what's my particular conditioning? What am I most inclined to do? That may not be in one's best interest. Mm-hmm. Might you know, not be kind to oneself. Not, might not be kind to oneself. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. great. Right there. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you want to speak? Please. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 
I started letting go over the last 12 months, one of the profound things that I learned was I used to be an overanalyzer. So I always cling on to things as what if, what if, what if, what if. But I, when I let go, the quick, the energy in me told me, why not? <laughs> so I started to use the construct on everything. What if scenario versus why not scenario. And it's not so bad. <laughs> wow, uh, that's an amazing way to counter the old conditioning. And could you pass it back? Um, one of the things that struck me was the the pull between um, being passive and um, just letting something go versus feeling the need or the responsibility to have an impact. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like I, I didn't resolve. I, I heard that in other people and in myself, and I didn't quite resolve where I wanted to be with that. Right. A, a bit what you were addressing but from the other perspective my impulse would be to get involved and change it and interact as opposed to you know kind of sitting by and just letting it be or letting someone else mm-hmm. um, so right and, and there is a place um, in this world when we get to write action in a couple of months and write speech to your point there is a place for speaking and acting but just in terms of observing your own you know these three habits, these three old condition habits, this restraint that you're, I hear several people practicing is very interesting to be with. So we're going to move on now, and um, we're going to take a break, but first Tori wanted to talk a little bit about connecting. Um, um, let's, uh, could you pick up a mic? Thanks. Hi, everyone. So I set up a Slack group last month, um, and for people who took a, a website uh, slip, uh, you probably couldn't sign up because it wasn't set up so that you could sign up. It turns out that I need to invite you. So if I have a, a uh, notebook here, and I'm going to be over by the candy jar, and if you could just leave your email address, um, I will invite everyone. And if you have any issues... With, with using Slack or anything like that, I or I'll find a volunteer to help work with you if you think you might have issues um, with the, the platform. If you could just put a, like a little star by your name so I know to connect with you. What yes. Is Slack? Slack is, um, it's, a, it's kind of like a group messaging and private messaging platform that a lot of like, companies use to interface with each other and we can use it for the Dharma or for arranging meetups with one an, one another. It is not, um, it's it's not uh, endorsed by the teachers or anything like this. This is just purely grassroots because if you want to connect with with other Dharma practitioners doing the Eightfold Path. So thank you, Tori. Yeah. So um, thank you very much for that. And we're going to take a about a ten minute break. So I'll ring the bell when we're supposed to come back and um, please enjoy your break. <laughs> 